In a world where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. All right, folks, let's see if you can answer this question. Now, if, if I were... If I were a little more clever, I think I would work. I'd, I'd put this into some sort of a, of a Jeopardy question. But um, you know, to be honest, I, I haven't really watched Jeopardy ever. I think so. It does. You know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read a couple of facts about this person here, and let's see how many of you can uh, how many of you know the answer. And uh, let's see. Yeah. He, so so he was this person was a. Uh, uh, he was nicknamed the King of Comedy, and he is regarded as one of the most significant cultural figures of the 20th century. And over an eight-decade career, yeah, you heard me right, eight decades, that's uh, over 80 years, for those of you who uh, don't do math. Uh, his contributions to both film and charity... That's a good, it's an important clue right there. Charity, along with his publicized personal life, made him a global figure in pop culture. And he made his professional debut in 1946. Yes, that is even well before I was born. Uh, he made his debut in 1946 as one half of a famous uh, duo, which I, I can't tell you the other person's name because I would give it away. Uh, and, uh, but the other person was a famous singer. And the two of them would perform together until they broke up, alas, in 1956. But they had a good 10-year run. And then uh, this particular person of interest went on to uh, have, a, have a great solo career. So how many of you know, uh, you know, if you know the answer, just shout it right out. Just, just shout it right out. <laughs> I wish we could do that on podcast. There must be some, isn't there an app for that? Anyway, uh, I'm going to tell you, um, this person is, was Jerry Lewis, who actually only died... Uh, just a couple of years ago. Let's see, 2017. Okay, so so four years ago. He, he was actually with us for a long time. Jerry Lewis, the king of comedy. Why, you ask, is he talking about Jerry Lewis today? And it's because I have Jerry Lewis on the show. Now, obviously, it's not the same Jerry Lewis, uh, but this one is equally uh, brilliant and entertaining, and I think uh, we're gonna. It's it, it's a great conversation, um, and I can say that it's a great conversation because we've already recorded it, and, and so I already know what we said. Um, but Jerry Jerry is from IBM, and um, uh, and we it, we're just it's a great discussion today on um, on digital transformation, uh, kind of across the industry. So before we get to that, as always. I got to say thank you to the sponsor of this show, which is Hewlett Packard Enterprise HPE. Uh, the HPE is a big supporter of OGGN. They don't not only do they sponsor the show, but um, they do a lot of other things with us because they want to be plugged into the oil and gas community. So we're talking here, folks, about a big tech company that wants to help oil and gas. And uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave that there and let that sink in for a second. So. Uh, please show, please, please show 
HPE some love. Uh, have a look at what they're doing lately. It's, uh, you know, you go to HPE.com. I think they've got like a, yeah, I think, I, they've got an oil and energy section on their website, and you can learn about things like GreenLake, which is this fantastic edge computing uh, solution that they've, that they've got out there. They're partnering with some great people around the industry. They're active in OSDU. They're, they're um, well, anyway, there's just a whole bunch there. And and uh, we love them, and they're doing great stuff for the industry. Now, don't think I'm talking about HPE like when you go down to Best Buy and buy a new laptop. Uh, that's a different company. They used to be the same company. Now they're separate. So I'm talking about Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Check them out, HPE.com. Apart from that, i got to remind you to also have a look at what's going on with OGGN.com because there's always something. we got, we got, we got so many things happening right now. I think I've dropped a few hints about some stuff. Uh, coming uh, soon that some new, some totally new things that we're doing that I can't really talk about yet, but it's going to be great. So watch this space for, well, don't watch this space. You know what? Watch our LinkedIn. That's just go to LinkedIn, follow us there, and you won't miss anything. All right. Now, back to the program. Without uh, any further babbling on my part, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the OGG and Spotlight, Mr. Jerry Lewis. And that gets us to our guest today. We are here in the fabulous Canon on the west side of Houston, um, where, you know, I can't remember how this goes now because um, I haven't been here for a few weeks and I haven't been able to say it, but uh, where, where the birds, the birds are always singing the sun is always shining and the people are always happy, especially happy, is Jerry Lewis sitting opposite me. You look happy. Are you happy? I'm very happy. You, you are. It's always, it's always good to get together yeah, and talk. Good so, to see you, Mike. So, Jerry, so I have, uh, as you probably heard me say right before that snappy musical interlude, I have Jerry Lewis from IBM. And, uh, and I'm just going to say, usually I would say what part of IBM, but I'm going to save that for, for, the, for what's coming. Um, and you've been on, and this is, you, you know, you're not a, this is not your first time on this particular show. Not my first show. rodeo. Yeah. So you were, I think you were actually um, part of the first five episodes. Like when we launched with the first five episodes, I think maybe you were in that first Yeah, then I, got, I got founder shares. Yeah, right? uh, there you go. And, and it was... And we had the Tom and Jerry show. At we, that did. Time. we did. We did. Yep, that was Tom Inglis and I. Tom yeah. Inglis from BP and from I. BP. And, and yeah, you. that was a great yeah. episode. I did yeah. one with Russell as well, and then we just did uh, an episode with with Mark. Well, uh, the yeah, whole you oil guys, you guys took over the whole uh, oil and gas this week. That's right. And we had that whole security yeah, and, meltdown. And situation. I don't know if Mark was just um, giving us a. Uh, a little ego boost, but he told us that we're in the top one percent of all podcasts ever, it, or something. It's in amazing, terms of downloads. people. Yeah. So, yeah. for those of you following along at home, um, if you if you don't listen to Oil and Gas this week, you should listen to Oil and Gas this week. And um, and usually the format is Mark and Page or Mark and somebody review interesting news articles uh, for the industry, and then Mark gives all of his insights and commentary. Um, but in this case. You guys just kind of came in and took over. Which, yeah, we, uh, we, we took over and we, we reviewed the news. Uh, Jason, who leads the industry for IBM here in Houston, and then my colleagues who run the other oil and gas major accounts here for IBM Consulting, yeah. we all talked about the news and took our take on it and kind of kicked Mark and Paige to the curb. Well, yeah, and, and, and of course there was that whole like security meltdown thing yeah. and all of that happened, of yeah. course. Um, um, no, that was it. Was funny because I walked into 
so th this you, you, this this happened at one of our favorite spots to hang out, the Whiskey Cake, out in further further West Houston, and I walked in, I and there was like ten of you around a table with microphones and the whole thing, and um, and uh, and the the nice young lady behind the bar, which is where I headed to first, obviously, typically, um, asked me. She goes, "Are you with those guys back there?" I said, "Yeah." What are they doing? She like. Like, I had no idea. Why are all these people at a big table with microphones? Yeah, I think that's, it's not a normal thing to see at a regular restaurant. It's just not. People, in the middle of the day. Yeah, right? in the middle of the in day. In the middle of the day. You know, yeah, just chowing so. a big burger and then talking about the, the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, we got ahead of ourselves. What, um, uh, so, I want to ask you what's going on with IBM here lately. We do want to talk about digital transformation. Um, but for those who maybe missed the exciting Tom and Jerry episode... Today's just, but it, but see, I still have the you have the celebrity factor because it's Jerry Lewis. It's true. It's I, so I got Jerry. I mean, maybe I like if I do my best Dean Martin impersonation, maybe. <laughs> hey, lady. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, he so, was slightly before my time. My parents named me after him, but uh, you know, he oh, was. So they so so they did actually name me. After yeah, him. The, at first they didn't tell me that, but I think it was a little bit like you know, boy named Sue. They wanted me to be yeah. tough, get beat up a lot because yeah. of a name like that. Right. Not only the celebrity and the, the telethon, and back in the day before there was a lot of sensitivity, people would make fun of Jerry's kids and make fun of me as a result of that. And, oh, wow. You know, in really? grade school and tease me mercilessly. Yeah. It made me tough, though. It, that made, yeah. You know, that, me it turned you into the brute that you are today. <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. Stealing fear. Yeah. All right. So, so for those who missed it, uh, you, you like just a little bit about who you are and your and what you do at IBM and and sure and, and anything else that you want to yeah no any, no worries else. just a quick recap um, I work in IBM Consulting which I think you were going to tee up that softball but didn't quite do it yet so IBM yeah, yeah. So, IBM literally today this is October thirteenth is that right launched it its is. It new is. brand IBM Consulting which is the formalization of the global business services division within IBM as its own brand called IBM Consulting to be very clear about what we do in IBM Consulting. We provide consulting services to our clients. Right. right and right. I don't think that was super clear to people in the world in the past because there was never any advertising about IBM Consulting. There was some vague understanding by our clients that we had services that we provide, but they weren't yeah. sure if it was tech but services. But everybody had services of some sort. It was right? hardware yeah. services yeah. and the yeah. consulting side of it, which for us, it's, it's about strategy and experience and about technology and about process. Those four things across two domains known as intelligent workflows and hybrid cloud, so multiple yeah. clouds. That's really our core. And it wasn't clear to clients kind of where we stopped and where the rest of IBM began. And so this exercise right. today, this launch today, literally of the IBM consulting brand solidifies and clarifies for all of our clients what we do. So I am a consultant, a partner in the business with right. IBM consulting and I manage the account for BP in North America. Right. All of our business with BP. In addition to that, I do some work in our site reliability engineering practice, and I do a lot of work in digital transformation generally, customer experience transformation, enterprise agility, and ways for businesses to operate kind of at the speed of customer demand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bring yeah. that to BP and other oil and gas and other heavy yeah. industry. It's cool stuff. Um, it's funny, you know, the consulting thing, because I've always thought of, I mentioned this when we were chatting earlier, 
the, 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 the consulting part of IBM because I was a, a customer of back in the day when it was called something else. Um, and this is back way back in the day. Um, but, but then I also grew up in the consulting world, as I think I probably mentioned before, like professionally, I grew up in consulting. Um, and you know, there was a time when, um, consultants ruled the earth and, uh, and, and there was sort of a little bit of a bad because, because some companies or teams within companies didn't always do what they were supposed to do and deliver. And so there was, so there was kind of a trend away from calling yourself like I'm going back like into the like mid 2000s, right? Yeah. Like 2005, 2004. People started getting away from just calling yourself a consulting company because, you know, you know there was a lot of jokes about consultants that didn't. Um, so it's unfortunate. <clears throat> hey, you're fine. So, um, uh, so it's good to see. So as a former consulting person myself, it's nice to see that the word is back in favor again. Yeah, I, I think if you can deliver something, if you can help companies that actually is, put pen to paper idea, right? and, and, and make changes, real change, and, and implement the solutions that you design and the strategies that you recommend, then I think you can call yourself a consultant in what people would expect a consultant to do. The, the days of, here's a PowerPoint, good luck. Mm. I, there are still a few firms that mm, get away with yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah. We, know, we all know who they are and yep. they, they're, they're amazing at what they do. But whatever it is, we believe and our we believe that the value in consulting comes from the end to end capability. Yeah, and we think yeah. that IBM consulting in particular is positioned very well to execute on the promise of not just coming up with the strategy, but actually delivering the process, the tech and the experience for customers at the end of the day to find success for businesses today. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And uh in fact, IBM back in the way back in that day, like during the dot com boom, IBM had a great commercial uh, about that. I'm not going to replay it now because it would take time, but it was a great commercial about, oh, well, we don't do the the work part. We only tell you, you know, what what, what we think you should do. So, speaking of that um, and digital transformation, you know, one of the one of the reasons, uh, like I mentioned earlier, one of the reasons we started this show is kind of a spinoff of uh, well, I guess tech. Is was to really focus more on how how are people in the industry making real progress, getting real business? Like, how are we doing with this digital transformation effort? Um, so we're so we're we're I don't know we're probably four we're probably four years into the industry taking it seriously, and we're about six months into this show where we started talking about the industry taking it seriously. So and you were on in the beginning. So how, what's the what's the state of things? Like how are how are we doing now? It's a great question. I've known for great questions. Different yeah. industries, <laughs> different sectors of the economy are doing better or worse. Yeah. Depending on their heritage. I would say that companies that are only just now getting into understanding and driving at delivering great customer experiences yeah. are the ones that are struggling the most. And unfortunately, that means that heavy industry, manufacturing, consumer products companies, that didn't ever have direct relationships are those companies that tend to struggle. Now, some of them make real investments in change, like bringing in chief digital officers, chief customer officers, customer success leaders, mm -hmm. and things yeah. of that nature that can drive the importance of the changes that are necessary to, to have great customer experiences throughout the organization. But it takes a very powerful 
executive or set of executives that are in the C-suite to affect that kind of change because you've got mm. supply chain, you've got manufacturing, you've got human resources, finance, you've got lots of different divisions of the company that have been around forever doing things a certain way that have driven success. They're not making big changes to try to affect an outcome that's uncertain. They're used to <laughs> having right. a plan yeah, well said. that's yeah. very well thought out that oftentimes is years in the making and that often conflicts with the notions of agility and you know the concepts in scrum, sprints, backlogs that get reprioritized all the time. And and those conflicts are it takes a it takes a very senior leaders that understand how that works to negotiate and drive change throughout the organization. So I'd say that getting the entire organization on board with digital transformation is very hard, especially for the companies that weren't historically focused on customer experience, which yeah. would be most of heavy industry. Right, right for sure. Um, and, and to answer your question then, how are we doing? If we're, if we're talking about yeah. oil and gas, I'd say we're getting a C, if, if at all. Okay. Only because we're taking some pretty heavy engineering approaches to designing our digital transformations, which in and of themselves are creating complexity that people don't know how to navigate. You know, you let go a lot of people yep. in, in, a, yep. in a in a in a you know, in COVID with the drops in oil prices and a need to cut costs and transform companies. And this is not spe specific to any one oil and gas company. This is across yeah, the board. Right, it's everywhere. You let go a lot of people, which loses a lot of internal skills. You have trouble attracting new people, yeah, because you know digital talent today young talent graduating it cares about the earth and all of that the struggle the with the look, notion yeah. of working for a company yeah. that historically has certainly driven the economy but not necessarily done it in the cleanest way right and you know what all the, you know, the press and all of that today it's difficult to escape the the imagery and so you you've got a real war for talent on your hands and all of the consultancies and all of the tech companies are fighting for that same talent. Yeah, sure. And so sure. You, you've let go of a bunch of people. You can't get new people. It's very hard to get new people. Um, and then you've got to do battle with the legacy part of the business that doesn't really like change and usually is the engine of success of the company. Yeah. So when 99% of the profits of the company come from selling oil and gas, mm and you want to change the way the entire company works to deliver better customer experience for mobile, it just, it makes it more difficult, I think, for people to understand that value. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. and so, anyhow, companies try to figure out, okay, we have to perform while we transform, mm, okay? Right. So we gotta keep pumping our hydrocarbons and all those right, things, which right. are fundamental to our business. It's the old but we still need to make progress. changing problem, right? To, yeah, yeah, to satisfy yeah. our investors and yeah. the community and to make progress toward net zero and to get, attract new talent. So let's build a structure that's gonna facilitate the performance of the business and the change of the business, and then let's figure out a way to get them working together. And I think it's that connection between those two distinct entities, the existing one and the new one, that companies are really struggling to make work. Got it. So, yeah, that pretty much um, 
It pretty much sizes it up. You covered a lot of ground there. Yeah. So, and, and, and we can't, we can't dig into all of those things today. Uh, although, um, but I think, but I did ask you for a, a broad view. That was very broad. Um, it, 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 there's a couple of things though in there that are really interesting. Uh, one is, you know, a lot of times we tend, especially like, like on the tech show and on this one, when we talk about, we like to focus on the really cool stuff, which tends to, in this industry, be in, in operations, right? Stuff happening, you know, we love to talk about stuff happening at the edge. We'd love to talk about, you know, like like all the things that we can do with sensor data now and da, 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 and all the operational stuff and, auto, you know, um, automated drilling. Our friends right down the hall here at Corvo are doing some amazing stuff there. Um, uh, but you mentioned like that other part of the business that's not so exciting, right? Like, like, like finance and, and supply chain, like all of that doesn't get, um, doesn't, I, I noticed that we picked the yard day today here at the Canon <laughs> to be, I don't know, hopefully that's not coming through. Well, I, you know, actually I don't care if it's coming through or not, but, um, um, uh, but, you, but all of those other parts of the business also presumably need to be transformed now it's really loud <laughs> oh yeah so yeah. uh there's a it's a big yard out a, there there's a so speaking of oil and gas products there's a gas power blower outside the window <laughs> here that is uh they're insanely loud they're like that loud. is something that people have learned from working at home more now i yeah. think is like 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 i heard one guy say i know exactly when all my neighbors get their like which day they get their lawn done on right and which ones have the loudest equipment right so okay i think we're i think we're in the clear so all those other parts of the business they need attention to and they're not any easier to transform than how we how we do drilling and completions or how we do production right right, right. And, and 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 so when you said these parts of the business that are that are hard to change it's all of them yeah i mean how m most large enterprises have erp systems that manage all of their snop right uh, the the planning that run their their business with products they sell what they manufacture changing those things quickly is very difficult to do and when it well, look takes at how much time and money they spent getting those erp systems yeah, in right not like, only that like astronomical figures in today's world as well there's no hundred million dollar budget to just go change stuff oh no everything's no. got a business case everything's got a value case that needs to be proven and then delivered and then measured as you go and the creation and preparation of those cases take time and then I was thinking about something I said earlier and trying to understand how to relate it to, to folks about the relative cost of the digital part of the business compared to the value that it could bring. And then sometimes the trouble that that gets us into. For instance, in, if, you, if you can pull out millions of barrels of oil out of the ground, it's pretty easy to measure the value of that. Because sure. there's a price of oil, you know, a yeah, future yeah. price of oil, and yeah. you, you kind of do a model, and I, then you yeah. say, okay, we're going to get $300 million right. profit. Yeah. Well, okay. when you build a better mobile app, or when you build, you know, a, when you digitize wells, or when you make incremental improvements with digital, it's much harder to justify the millions that you need to spend now to get the possible millions you're going to get later, or the, you know, tens of millions or whatever it might be. It's just not as clear. Yeah. Although it's necessary, because if you don't make the changes, that your competitors are making that deliver better customer experiences than your customers go to your competitors. And so there's some, there's some systemic and 
um, existential threats out there from outside industry and inside industry that you have to address, but the value cases aren't as clear. So it becomes more difficult for firms to move quickly enough to make the investments fast enough and with enough money to affect the change they need to because yeah, the value yeah. cases aren't as clear. Well, and so you're getting into something there that's kind of interesting, which is because um, in, in essence, you're sort of requiring people to believe that um, this kind of next level of transformation is worth it, right? So in other words, um, you know, I, I could see I could see a particular executive at a at an operator saying well I can see that you know so you took your fancy digital stuff and you applied it to this problem over here and I can see how oh yeah well now that's better right we and we can measure that and and you took and you did something else with something over here and, and all the usual things that we talk about right and um, but now you're talking about this like wholesale transformation of everything. It's starting to get a little nebulous. It starts to feel like a leap of faith. And, you know, it makes me think of like Tim Allen and the Santa Claus, right? Like, what if I choose not to believe it? What's really going to happen? Is anything bad going to happen? Um, so how do you, how do you, and, and, and we all love to talk about, we need to take, go, we need to go beyond point solutions to wholesale, to transforming the whole, we, we use the word end to end a lot, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. but is it like, is it really, is it really necessary? Is it really worth it? Like, and you, you said, but you have to do it. Like, why do you have to do it? Well, so I, do we change the entire business end to end every element of it? Not really. Right. But we make it better in every way using digital to drive it drive the, the efficiencies that we can get to increase margin and to drive better customer experience. And it is, it is worth doing that. Where companies struggle is, okay, I've got all these things that I need to do or I could do. Where do I start? How much money do I spend? How fast do I need to go? How do I prioritize all of this? Ah, right. And, right. and so the magic really is in the value streams that you create for your customers and deliver and, uh, and removing the roadblocks to creating value. Um, and that gets a little bit beyond traditional, say, digital transformation because you know it, that goes into operating models a bit and mm. i don't know if you read the article that i had written about digital transformation but operating model transformation i, I did back way back yeah, when we first talked is so. a really critical part of unlocking some of the speed that is necessary to move quickly enough so so let's so talk about that briefly because this word operating model appears in a lot of um, articles papers written by consultants Gartner, whoever, right? This, but I would bet that if we took a survey um, of, you know, of leaders, you know, functional leaders, senior leaders in a lot of companies and ask them, what is an operating model? I bet you not a lot of people know exactly what, what do we mean by operating model? <laughs> Put me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, you wrote the article. Yeah, no, I did. Um, well, there's lots of different kinds of operating models. So yeah. you could take but like, an, as an IT exam, like, operating model. Like, what should I be thinking? Like, when you yeah. say operating model, yeah. like, what should I be thinking? Yeah. Uh, let's take an IT operating model, for instance, or an agile operating model. It would basically go something like this. Okay, we need to produce, we need to provide digital invoices for our customers that are buying energy from us. And we need to show on that invoice that the we need one invoice to show the customer that, you know, what they're spending with us on green energy, what right. they're spending with us in energy consulting, what they're spending with us on 
um, kind of regular energy and have all that sort of be consolidated in one of us. Remember these old phone bills that you used sure, to get yeah. where you had the office and you had like long distance and you had right. local and it was all in one gigantic like 400 right. page invoice. Every single text message itemized. Yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you want all the services to show up on one invoice. Okay, well think about how that would actually happen in a company that wasn't geared to provide that invoice, right? right. You have to change the way that IT might work in order to serve the need of the cust of the of the of the part of the business that's providing that invoice, the customer service or customer support part of the business, and they say, "Okay, IT, I need an invoice that looks like this." Well, in a traditional organization, that might then result in the person who runs IT, the CIO or, or CTO, saying, "Well, there, that data is not an SAP, so." Yeah, you're going to need to build a new system for this and a new system for that. So you need to go talk to this guy and talk to that guy, talk to that you know woman over there that manages that part. And then we need to go buy all this hardware and we need to stand up something in the cloud. Yeah. And you got to go talk to all these different divisions. And then of course finance is going to have to sign off on it. And then we're going to have to have you know <laughs> HR hire a bunch of people. Um, and in order to yeah. get this invoice done, I can tell you have the tire marks on your back from past consulting <laughs> projects. You, you have to yeah. you have to go fight across the entire organization. Yeah, yeah. So. The IT operating model in that instance is like very, it's very vertically oriented around functions of the business. There's not autonomy to do anything that crosses from one boundary to another. It requires sign off from finance and operations and HR and legal to do anything in any one of those towers. And so everything's just locked up, Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. So a new IT operating model might be more focused on value streams, which says that, okay, if we have seven things that we deliver to customers that deliver value, we oil and gas, we have lubricants, we have, I don't know, uh, green right. consulting, we have whatever our services yeah, are. Winter outerwear. I'm going to build yes. IT so that it has no bottlenecks from soup to nuts, from end to end, across all the functions of the business so that it can deliver those outcomes. So I'm going to go more horizontal across the business right. in order to be able to be more effective as an IT organization. Right. So more autonomy, more partnership, things of that nature. So it's redefining the way that how you do it. How IT you work, right. serves the organization, how the success is measured. Right? I don't think any CTO has ever been measured on NPS. No, probably not. But if not. you start to put the incentives that people are paid who are in unrelated organizations around NPS, they're going to start to care about the experience they deliver for customers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. There's, there's a lot of that kind of thing has to change, right? Yeah. Okay, so, so that's a good example. And I think you're getting to the kind of the heart of the thing, which is that whether you, it's kind of like this, right? Like um, whether you know you have an operating model or not, you have one. Right. Absolutely. It doesn't, just because you don't, you know, um, you, you may not call it that, but you have a way, your organization, your piece of the operation, your function, whatever, has a way of operating. And it's kind of like, you know, when somebody says, uh, well, let me tell you how we do it here. Right. That's there, there's an operating model behind that statement. And now we're saying we need to change it. Um, so uh, so all of this. So, OK, we're still we're, I'm watching the clock here, and I know we don't want to. We could, we could, we could talk for a long time in this, but I want to drop down to to something practical. Um, and and the first thing that comes to mind is, okay, I hear what you guys are saying. Yeah, I get it. What do we do? Like, what what's a pra And you touched on, you started to touch on this a little bit, but like, so what's what's a practical way for going from where we are now with all of these? Uh, you know, very high obstacles that we need to overcome uh, to getting down the road where we need to be. Yeah, that's another great question. And 
the answer is going to seem too simple. Yeah, call IBM Consulting because <laughs> you're a brand new thing now, and you get and you get <laughs> a redefinition of an old well, thing. But let's. Yep. But let me. But okay. Yeah. So I laugh, we laugh about that. But if somebody, if a client came to you and they're kind of in that state, what do you do? What? Do, how do you? How do you guide them? Yeah, there's there's a few competing theories here. One is you want to show and deliver value quickly in whatever it is you're going to change. Right. And yeah. quickly has a whole new definition yeah. these it, days. It right? does. It's kind of like 30 days, four 90 weeks. days. Yeah. yeah. You know, but if you're, if you're looking to affect change across the organization, it really starts at the top. So the C-suite, the CEO of the company needs to be on board with the change that has to happen for the organization to change. Now, you could implement digital in one part just by having an empowered leader of that part of the business as sure. the CEO for that sure, area, but right? right? But if you really want to change the organization, the C-suite has to set the stage by communicating the vision and the commitment the organization has internally and externally, especially if you're publicly traded, because if you don't satisfy your investors as to the goals and the process you're going to take, the goals that you have and the process you're going to take to change the business and the time it's going to take and the money, the stock price is going to take a beating. You're going to be out the door. So somebody like Jeff Bezos had all the license in the world to do whatever the hell he wanted because he never had to worry about investors getting up in his shorts about what was going on. Right. But, but, but there's a, but so, so you, you, you skipped over one little part, which is... So the, the, I skipped the, over a lot because that was just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, the CEO has to communicate. and so. But first, th- that means they have to understand it. Yeah, so... Right, which so, is kind of the... Yeah, so yeah. going back one step. So they, the, the, the C-suite has to be on board, but on board with what? With what the company needs to do. So right. that goes back to what are the goals and what's the vision for the company? What's the mission? And if you look at BP's public statements about what it's doing. It's got a certain number of aims around changing and transforming, go right. from an IOC to an IEC, an integrated energy yep. company. Yep. And and they've outlined an entire suite of uh, programs and initiatives they've got around making those changes from the C-suite all the way down. So from a top-down perspective, they're doing it right. So that's the first thing. The second is then what are the North Stars that facilitate speed and agility yeah. without sacrificing safety. And those North Stars are, one, we're going to be safe in everything we do. Two, we're going to empower people to make decisions and put the decision-making closer to the nexus of value, which is where the customers are. Um, three, we're going to make sure that uh, we're building and measuring value every step of the way so we can quickly prioritize yeah. or deprioritize things that aren't working. Right? Um, and from C-suite down into the next level and down into the next level, right? This message cascades and it has to be consistent. Yeah. Um, And then the organization has to bend its will toward finding change that works for that organization because every culture is different and uh, it's an evolution for sure. Yeah. yeah. You want to be a revolution, but it's really more of an evolution and it requires patience and and a lot of effort and a lot of learning and a lot of unlearning um, and it requires new talent. I think that's the other thing that often goes un- appreciated by organizations that have a legacy and a history, which is, hey, we know our business better than anybody. Yeah. And so don't you come in and tell me how to do product management. Well, I can tell you for a fact that most industrial companies that try to take, you know, guys that run plants or, or you know, women that were in the field selling and, and, and make them into digital product owners or uh, designers or customer experience leaders fail because yeah, those so people don't have the skills. 
you can't just put someone in a job, call them a, a CDO and expect them to execute like a CDO. And so bringing in new talent is incredibly important. In fact, most of the studies show, and I, I go through some of the stats on this in the article that we've referenced a few times, um, you know, McKinsey and other big consultancies will say that you know, 70, 80% of these transformations fail partly because they don't bring in new talent and you need to change out 20 to 30% mm. of some of the leadership in order to yeah. affect a digital transformation. So, 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 um, so or bring in that kind of talent. Right? Yeah. So change. So I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the mind of somebody who's listening to this. Um, you know, the first thing is, all right, so all this, all this stuff that we're saying here isn't just, it's not just consultant speak. This is, these are, these are real things that you're seeing real companies Absolutely. do. You mentioned BP. Yeah. Um, okay. So I got to bring in, I got to change out 20% of the talent, change it out for what? I mean, this CDO thing you're talking about didn't even exist, you know, you know, five days ago or whatever. <laughs> like, like, how do I? Like, what is the what? What is it that I'm? What is it that I'm bringing in exactly? Besides just younger people. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's skills and knowledge of how to be effective when, in the face of uncertainty, how how to manage an agile operating model, which would include a lot more of kind of constant reprioritization, pushing back on business stakeholders that need an answer now, that want to know what's going to be developed and produced and shoved out the door, you know, next week, the week after the week after that, because the, it, it, you know, from top down, if you say you're going to be agile, but then everybody operates in a waterfall methodology, then everybody just gets demotivated and they leave. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's, it's really about the ways of working the the skills the cultural profile required to exist in this more agile environment yeah. and this customer experience oriented environment and it's not so much you have to swap out 20 percent of your talent it's more like you need a, a significant influx of new blood in yes. order to right. have the transfusion the, kind of change the mix right, right? What, what's really interesting about your answer there is when i said you know bring it bring in what kind of people you didn't say anything about people who like have a knack for cool tech or people who are like um uh you know uh like i don't like know digital or, natives or something yeah exactly mm -hmm. right it's it's a it's you know you talked about people who know how to execute an agile operating model which even if so even if somebody's not familiar with that the point is there's a whole different way of working which you said and there are people who who, who know how, and, and it's you know, and it works. I mean, it's been, it, you know, Agile is not just for software development, yeah. right? So. Yeah, and, and many companies do say to us, well, show me. Sure, okay. Show me, show me value, and then we'll think about it. And yeah. Can't blame it, them it, on that, No, no, right? not at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in those cases, and even in a scenario where somebody's going through digital transformation, among the 20 things they could do, they still want to have a way to show that what they've picked is going to add value. And so we have a, we have an, uh, a way of working, if you will, or yeah, a methodology okay. called IBM Garage, which we've rolled out and been rolling Sounds out for, for years. Yeah. Well, it's this idea of you know <laughs> startups existing in a garage, in a garage and all that, right, right? right? And it's about co-creation, cooperation, co-execution, where we start from the beginning with the customer needs in mind and the outcomes that we care about, and we co-engineer with the business, meaning our clients, what we're going to build, how we're going to measure it. We define it all up front, and then we build it that way so that every step of the way we know the value that's being produced or not produced, and then we can reprioritize. Right. And when you do that with your customers and your clients, they start to recognize the power of 
that. So we don't spend two years going down a path that turns out to be the wrong one. Right. Right. De de demoralizing the entire digital staff and then undermining the mission. Yeah. Right? We're going we're gonna to be fast and we're going to be nimble and we're going to change our priorities based on what's working and what's not. And that test and learn approach is really valuable. Now, can you do a test and learn approach in transforming your entire business? Not as easily, but companies still need to be prepared to, to shift a bit, course correct, if something's not working for them. Take work from home. We were talking about this yeah, before yeah, we right, started, right. right? I mentioned to you that we're seeing some of our clients really struggle bringing people back to work. So we had this whole notion of empowering workers at home, right? We're going to make sure they've yeah. got the bandwidth they need and they've got the office setup they need and you know, we're going to accommodate their needs around childcare and we're going to get them set up to be successful. And it's been a year and a half yeah, that we've yeah. been at home, right? Right. Now people are used to it. Yeah. And These are very productive workers now. It appears to be working. Now. Right, yeah. And yeah. they've changed their lives. Mm -hmm. They've changed their lives. So they're no longer in league with childcare organizations all the time. And they don't right. have those relationships anymore. And they, they've got their kids maybe in more virtual schools at home. They've, done, they've made changes. They've even just changed their overall day-to-day -day patterns in terms of how right. they do things, when How they, they mix do work things. and life, right? And they yeah, take it's, walks. It's, they, they walk around the yeah. lake on calls. And if they can't right. do that when they come back to the office and they don't see the value of being back in the office, they're not going to like it. And we're actually seeing now yeah. with back-to-work campaigns, uh, a lot of... I'll say resistance and and it's 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 demoralizing for some of the workers to think now that I've got to change everything again and why right and so that is a it's conundrum that right, yeah. that we're facing and a lot of our clients are facing and I'm not naming any particular companies Obviously, I'm just, we're right. just seeing it uh, but I, I think everybody yeah I mean, I mean right and it's a little bit disingenuous to say I mean because these people like you said they made all these changes and they were they were asked to do so they were told to do so by the very people who are now saying, well, we don't want to, we don't want to do that anymore. Um, however, there are, you know, I think maybe what we might end up seeing is, and you know, and you, you know, people like you and me, we've spent, we spent our careers not really like working all over. The, like you mentioned when we got here, you know, you were, you got here before I did, you said, it's no, it's no problem. I just get where I'm going. And then I sit down and I do work. Right. right. You've probably done your whole career that way. Yeah. I can't tell you how many things I've done at Starbucks and whatever Airports. else. Right. Yeah. And you're always kind of in transit from one place to another. And occasionally when you get to sit home all day and work, like it's kind of a special treat. So, um, so we're, but a lot of people weren't used to that. We caused them to transform themselves. But there's, a, I think there's a case to be made that depending on your role, on your job and how, what you need to do and what you need to do with other people, there are probably some things that are, are never going to be as good, that are always going to be better when you've got the team in close proximity to each other. You know, the whole, the whole bumping into each other on the way to the water fountain thing and all that. So the the key is going to be figuring out, and by the way, the people who are in those teams that work better in proximity, they probably don't mind coming. Like, like they're probably the sort of people who, right, who, who, would, who would like to be back together in the same place again. I've heard a lot of people say, oh man, it's been so great to get back. And, you know, but then you got other people and their personality and their role is more aligned to working. So I think the challenge uh, is figuring out in the organization figuring out where those lines fall and then implementing it in a way that doesn't seem unfair. Yeah, uh, right? it's, a, it's a tough one because if you think about the hybrid teaching models that are out there now where sure, you've got yeah. parents electing to keep kids at home with some in class. I was just listening to something on NPR on the way down here in the car about 
the struggles that teachers have. And in fact, within IBM and our corporate social responsibility group, we did a study on teachers here in Houston and in New York. And one of the fundamental problems that teachers have is the hybrid model where some of the kids are in class and some of the kids are not in class at the same time. Yeah, that's got to be tough. Imagine a work scenario where, right. and you've all, we've probably all been on these meetings and many right. of the listeners have been in meetings where they're the like one of three people who are not in the conference room right. trying to be a part of a Never meeting works. Never and works. it's so annoying. Yeah. It's annoying for the people in the meeting room. It's yep. an annoying for the people who are not in the meeting room because nobody can get a word in edgewise. You can't get attention. You've got a great thing you want to add, but, you know, but you but can't you don't get your hand the raised and then the, and then and all the time that, right, is yeah. gone and nobody can read you. Those are all real problems. And so I think you're right. There's a maybe team by team, maybe person by person, role by role. There are some decisions to be made around how that works. Flexibility, I think, is what's going to be key. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think everyone, well, that's a hard thing to say, everyone, but a general rule might <laughs> yeah. be that we lead with empathy and flexibility right? and allow people to have more of a say in what they want to do with their team as opposed to person by person, but more like of a team decision. Team, right. Yeah, because sure. if, if autonomous and empowered teams are one key and agile, then that team making the decision and agreeing on the... Oops, that's all right. Well, that's a big faux pas. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, uh, it, um, cer- it certainly has never happened to me. Yeah, uh. <laughs> the team, the team making that decision for the team is a better decision than some, let's yeah, say, leader yeah. making that decision for them. And this goes back again to, like you said, operating models and and changing the way we work and 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 your top executives like learning to think differently about mm-hmm. what they do. So let's, um, um, let's see, how are we doing on time here? We're, well, we're probably kind I'm, of at the, I'm enjoying it. Let's yeah, keep going. Keep going. We'll have fun. Yeah. Um, what, I'm just going to have to start charging you. Yeah. <laughs> That's now the consultant comes out. <laughs> <laughs> we're down to the, so, um, uh, what, what maybe just like a little bit, on because you mentioned this hard to get talent thing somewhere in there we talked about talent and and people oh and people who are with with the good digital skills you know they want to go build they want to go work on self-driving cars or whatever the new thing is um what when you're when you're talking with your clients how, how are you advising them on um in that whole war for talent situation yeah that's it's a it's a good question i think a couple keys for our clients are having a reason or a set of reasons why people are going to come work for you and and building that into your culture and into your public imagery. If a company's transitioning from an oil company to an energy company and it's a part of the solution for the problems associated with global warming and associated with, you know, carbon and methane and all of that. Yeah selling people on the idea that you can be a, you can help be a part of this transformation and the problem and make the world a better place. Right. That's an angle that I think people can relate to. If you can promise them a similar skill journey that they would have and an experience journey that they would have working for a digital native company um, that is reputed to have an amazing culture and, and find those things, those flexibilities and those, uh, work environments that help build the perception um, of the kind of company that you are to work for. I think that can be really important. And 
finding a way to, I don't know, maybe, I, I think you have to work on the brand and the image of the company. Yeah, there you go. Um, as a company that, that this kind of talent would want to come work for. And then, of course, you have to be open to outsourcing. Mm, where sure. you can't find the skill gaps and be okay with it and, right, and, right, right. and have those be focused more on value than on cost because if you focused on cost then you tend to get less motivated less capable less partner oriented solutions from your from your partners yeah, right yeah, if it's yeah. staff og and it's rates then it's a little bit less about outcomes and if right. we're talking about outcomes and value then you know I think companies are more willing to uh, work with the firms that hire them creatively and yeah. put skin in the game. Right, right. Um, and then you can get access to some of that talent. Maybe you can't recruit yourself. Got it, yeah. I, so that's those are all good points. Um, the, the thing about branding, rebranding the company. In fact, we just did. A, we just had an episode on the show. I think it's two or three episodes back where I had David Kippen, who's the... Um, he's an old friend and, and uh, well, he's, he's a, he's been a friend for a long time. I didn't mean to say that he's old, even though he probably is, um, <laughs> like us. And, uh, and he, uh, um, he's a founder and CEO of Aviva brands and he's done, he's a very successful branding agency, worked with companies all over the world and worked with a lot of people in oil and gas. And we did a whole episode just on kind of how the industry needs to rebrand itself. But, but in there with that, you said something about, um, making people, giving them a good reason. And, and, and the good reason isn't just, now I, I mean, I would argue that in, in oil and gas, if you, wanna, if you wanna work on cool stuff, we have just as much cool stuff potentially that you could work on here as a lot of other places, but it's kinda like that's not really good enough anymore. Um, it's yeah, not what, just what's about, the meaning of the work that you're doing. Yeah. What's the impact of we, the work that you're doing, which is kind of a generational thing too, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, like back in olden times when you and I were young, I don't know about you, but all I cared about was impressing the person above me, <laughs> right? So that I could get promoted and yeah. make more money. Like that was yeah. really all I cared about. I didn't yeah. care about the significance of well, whatever I like was doing. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, you know? that was it. That was it. But, but to, you know, but the, but that's changed over the last you yeah. know, 20, 25 years and yeah. people are, uh, very much concerned about what's the significance. Of I, I think the, the advent of social media has really changed the game. Interesting. You How does that play into that? You can't hide anymore. And everyone has a voice now. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, everyone yeah, has yeah. a voice. Rem Greta Thornburg. Yeah. Look at the waves that that young lady was able to create. Right. Um, and the impact that she's had with Twitter and you know yeah. social media campaigns, right? That would have never have happened right. 20 years ago. It right. couldn't have happened. Yeah. And so I think you know, being very savvy around social media and your brand is more important than ever. Yeah. Um, and and that's, it's part of the reason that I think younger folks are more focused on altruism and on you know things outside of interesting uh, yeah. like bigger purposes higher purposes right 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 no that's true that's true so okay um it doesn't mean that some people just don't want to make a lot of money and still you know yeah. want to you know are, are are really excited about you know discovering new pockets of oil and stuff like that i mean certainly all that stuff still exists but there's just another yeah set it, of criteria it that was people more, use now yeah i mean when i was um i mean and i dealt with this even you know um even just a, just a two, three, four years ago before I 
you know, and I used to do real work and I did, well, didn't just do this fun stuff. And we were dealing with, or even five, seven years ago, with that shift and it really sort of catches so from those of us kind of from the previous generation it catches us off guard because all of a sudden this person is asking about things that i'm like why i don't even know um when i was you know um in in my early career mo most people just you know the people who were ambitious and who wanted to to uh it was really just about um making your mark on the world mm. right like i just want like like and and that you know so maybe it was about money, maybe it was about impressing the, the, the person above you, whatever. But the point was you were like staking a claim and making your mark on the world. Now it's a very different mentality. Um, and so attracting people, yeah, I could see where you, you probably have to guide people in a completely different way yeah. now as far as I... Yeah, I, I think if you, if you don't have, if, if the people side of the business, you know, in our industry, if HR, if all of the senior leadership aren't aligned around the talent strategy, they're way behind. Then you're going to be, you're going to have a problem. And, right? and it's going to be a real struggle. Yep. 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 Yeah. Good. All right. So I think, um, we covered a lot of ground. That's really good. Um, I think this is probably a good place to wrap up. Also, I, I promised you that you wouldn't get stuck in traffic and I'm yeah, not sure yeah. that I'm not it's sure they kept it. now. And that's, uh, yeah, it's, well, the that's a lot of things, but it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely a time when traffic starts to grow. But. So, um, so thanks. And, uh, what, and, and I, you know, I always ask people, I always say like, how do people learn more? Well, learning more about everything we talked about would be uh, sort of a broad study, but we we will put that article in the in the links again, oh, that, great. that yeah. you that you wrote and um, and this new IBM consulting brand. I imagine there's probably some stuff out on press releases. I think there were some press. Uh, in fact, on LinkedIn today, if you go to my profile, I posted about it this morning with a link to meet the new yeah. IBM consulting or right. something like okay, that. Okay, cool. So we'll put that in. Yeah, there. I can grab that link and and um, um, yeah, and we'll of course put your LinkedIn and things like that. So. Jerry, thanks for thanks for making time coming over here to the fabulous Canon. Where uh, I, I haven't been here for for a few weeks, I feel like you know where like, I'm going right after yeah, this. Wh where are you going? I'm going to go right over to the uh, Van Gogh immersive exhibit and check it out. Oh, where? And is see that? if it's yeah. any good. It's right over there. It's oh. literally right next to the Canon. No, kidding. I didn't know it was here. But the only I saw thing it. I knew about next to the Canon was is the bar, the, yeah, well, the powder keg, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all the volleyball there's, courts. There's other things next to the Canon. No, right. I think it's a, it's a temporary. Uh, thing. Oh, okay. The exhibition is right there. To, I didn't know that. Uh, but, but Michael, thank you very much for yeah, having yeah. me again. It's always yeah. a pleasure talking Likewise. to you. Likewise. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you. Well, there you go, folks. Always great to have Jerry on the show. And now, of course, we all know that he was, in fact, named after the great Jerry Lewis, the comedian who, of course, started his career in that uh, fabulous duo with Dean Martin. Um, you know, if you haven't, uh, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you, um, when you have a few minutes, go back and look at what some of those guys used to do back then. Um, you know, you can find the videos around and you see, and you see what they, the, the way that they would entertain just live on stage. I'm telling you, we don't have entertainment like that anymore. Um, that's gonna wrap it up for today. And uh, thanks again uh, to our sponsor, HPE Hewlett Packard Enterprise. We love what they're doing for the industry. Check them out, especially if you have anything to do. If, you're, if you are in any way, shape, or form involved with technology and oil and gas, you need to have a look at HPE.com. Thanks also to our audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, uh, who personally handles this show and makes us sound fantastic. And remember, folks, if you hear somebody, let's say, I don't know, 
you're wherever you are, wherever you happen to roam, and you hear somebody say, you know, oil and gas is just not making very much progress with this digital transformation stuff, you need to send them to this podcast, make them listen, put those headphones on, and, or, you know, whatever you got to do, make them listen, uh, because this, this, because, well, what a big finish that was, because this is where they're going to hear about real life people who are getting digital done. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.